Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am very excited for our episode today, who is with Julie Barkas. Uh, Julie is a bestselling author. She is a speaker. She is a workplace transformationalist, a word that I just discovered. (laughs) But she is a wealth of knowledge just based on our pre-call as far as leadership, hiring, staff culture, customer service, a lot of different things. I'm really, really excited to have you on the podcast, Julie. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So I wanted to get started and I was doing a little bit of research on the pre-call and I saw a very interesting story on your website. And it's kind of resonated with me because I'm actually, uh, people might be able to guess from the, <laughs> from the name, but I'm actually a second generation immigrant, but okay. you had a really interesting story about a cow and a horse that I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> yeah. The, the cow and the horse. You want me to just uh, jump into that one? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so I am, I'm first generation here, technically on my dad's side. Anyways, he came over from uh, Lithuania when he was in fourth grade, didn't speak a word of English. And he was just submerged into an English speaking classroom, which I think is so fascinating about my father and just learned how to speak and how to do many different things in his life. But the backstory is that they were in the process of being like, they were on a a list in Lithuania during the wartime. And I don't have all the, the historical details in front of me, but basically they had to leave the country like right away or they were gonna be killed. They were on this list. So my grandmother made the decision and grandfather that they were just going to flee the country, leave their all their family, brothers and sisters and moms and dad behind and just go so that their children could have a better life. And I always think about how hard would that be? And the journey was something like four years long to get from Lithuania to America for what they had to go through. And they had a sponsor over here who was waiting for them and, and guiding them throughout the entire journey during a time when there wasn't a lot of communication, how would you even do this with no social media? You know, this would be easy these days, but in those days, but there was a time where my, they were making the journey and my grandma and grandfather got separated and they left their farm, like with a couple horses and cows. And on the journey, my grandma ended up selling some of those so that they could buy food for the children. And my grandma and grandfather, they got separated And the word through the grapevine was that my grandmother was now toting her cart with a horse and a cow. So one horse and one cow, and they were pulling the buggy with her two children. So that's what my grandfather knew to look for. He was looking for the woman with a horse and a cow in the buggy, pulling it, you know, towards America. And he was on a search and they eventually did reconnect, but that is the horse and the cow. And she just did what it took to make it work. And it just always impresses me, her story. Yeah. I gotta say in terms of like, there's so many little entrepreneurship lessons as far as that too, you know, getting the quick start and doing whatever it takes. But I also think it's always really important to kind of look at the historical context. If you have a bad day at the office or somebody leaves you a crappy review or something like that, at least you're not fighting for your life, right? (laughs) You know, it's so true. Yeah. Putting things into perspective, it's amazing. But when you think back on a story like that and what are being an, you know, second generation, it's, 
when you look back at it, it's like the struggle that they went through. And we think our struggles are big, but when you look at their struggle, not knowing if their significant other is alive, not knowing where the next meal is going to come from, not knowing if you're going to survive the gunfire that's like going right over your head while you're hiding in a cave, covering up your babies, you know? So there's just a lot of lessons in there. And one that I really carry forward from the story of my grandmother and they're coming to America was just the vision and how important it is to lead by a vision and how things that seem impossible to do are possible if you have a strong enough compelling vision and you hold that tight in your mind. Because I see in her mind, she was just looking at a better life for her family. She was visualizing that. She was thinking about what it was going to be like over here. And when she got here, she even started just taking in people's laundry, doing clothes, you know, doing what it took to make that vision come to life. So even when we look at our business, we have to really look at our vision and ask ourselves, is it strong enough? Does it guide me? Does it make me want to jump out of bed in the morning? And if it's not, we have to look at, well, what's really taking away from the vision coming to life? What's deteriorating the vision? And that's where we really want to go to work to transform those things and move people beyond the stuck point of where they're at with their vision. But the vision is what's going to keep you going. It's what's going to keep you excited. It's what's going to make the hard things not so hard. Yeah. I'm going to say too, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we had the story about uh, like an individual too. I feel like these days vision is kind of considered one of those like higher up on Maslow's hierarchies thing. It's like, I'll figure it out when the business is big enough for it to be a problem. But how do you kind of think about that for people who might, I mean, at what part of the journey do you think it's important to start really focusing on this stuff? Right away. You've got to have that strong vision, you know, and what I find in the work that I've been doing, and I've been doing transforming workplaces for over 20 years, it's been a fascination of mine. But what I find is that when you lose your vision or you lose the emotional connection to your big why, why you're doing what you're doing, it's really hard to connect anybody else to it. So when I start my work with my clients, we're always looking at the vision. We're always looking at, well, how do we get you to emotionally connect or reconnect with your why, why you're doing what you're doing? I mean, did you become an attorney because your mother went through something horrendous in the hospital and, you know, something, an injustice was done? You know, so what is your why in terms of why you do what you do and reconnect with that? So we not only look at the vision, but we also look at the story, which is what I consider the backbone behind the vision. And so it's so you know interesting that you started with the story of the horse and the cow, <laughs> because looking at our why and, and what shapes us is the emotional connection. And when we lose connection, everybody else. So if we're looking to hire, nobody else is going to be able to connect with us because we're not connected. So I also wanted to segue just a little bit. So you've had a tremendous amount of experience in what I probably consider one of the hardest service industries that I could think of. And that is both from the perspective of building a culture, maintaining a team and the clients specifically, because those clients are small children, because you've done a lot of work in building and scaling up uh, child care industries. And just for anyone, before anyone tunes this out, the thing is that if you think you have issues with uh, clients being babies, (laughs) Like imagine what it'd be if your clients were actually babies. So um, can you kind of talk about a little bit of your experience with that and, um, you know, how you ended up kind of getting to the point of learning this in the, in the field? Yeah. So when I was speaking, I started speaking in 1999 and I was going through a tough time in my life. So just a little bit of my backstory, I was going through a divorce at the time and I started listening to all different uh, motivational cassettes 
Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, a Mandino, and just absorbing it in. And there was a moment in my life where it hit me like, bam, you know, if you could just change somebody's life with your words, that would be like the most amazing things you things you could do for a living. You know, that would be like just the cream of the crop thing you could do. So I started speaking. I left my corporate position after eight years and I started speaking to anyone and everyone who was willing to listen, even the old guys at the Rotary. And at the time I was young, so they seemed really old, <laughs> but there would be childcare professionals in my audience. And I did have a background in childcare working in there. Part of my working through college was working in childcare, various positions. And they said, you got to come talk to us about gossip. You got to come talk to us about negativity. You got to come talk to us about this. So I really started getting into the motivational aspect of having a team in place and realizing that you can't do much unless you have a team on board who's rowing in the same direction as your vision, as trying to bring that to life. So we really started going in and researching what's demotivating staff in the workplace. So if you have staff members who come in and they're really excited to work for you, you know, their, their motivation levels are up there. This is the job they want. They can't wait for that first day of work. And then it's day two. Motivation levels go down a little bit. It's week two. It's month two. And you're like, man, what happened to that great employee who I hired? So we really started looking at the trends and what I call staff to motivators to understand the dynamic of why morale plummets after a day, a week, a month, or a year. So now in the work that we do, it's really holistic in looking at the whole organization. And when I first started my work, we would interview every single level of employees. So in the childcare programs, that would be the cook, the bus drivers, all the way to the owners to really understand what's motivating you in the workplace and what's demotivating you, what's draining your motivation. And that's a component that a lot of people don't look at is what's draining our people's motivation and how quickly and easily it could be restored once it's gone. So that's really fascinating too, is that it can come back. It doesn't have to just be gone and then woo, it's not there anymore. It can come back, but it goes back to the emotional connection with your vision, with your story, and you feeling it as an owner, as the top business person, as the leader, you feeling it first. Yeah. I got to say, I think everyone who's listening to this podcast, who's run an organization of a decent size can understand the feeling of what it's like when you really feel like you're the only person on the team doing the job, right? Right. right. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But I got to say, in terms of like the replenishment too, I've kind of, you know, (laughs) (laughs) We're going to come out with this for the first time on the podcast, but I've kind of been a don't chase him, replace him kind of guy in terms of the hiring that I've done over the years, I have to say. So the thought of being able to really rejuvenate something is something that's resonating with me right now, but I kind of want to begin from the beginning, right? So I think, you know, we actually kind of got that first step as far as the vision. And I know we could probably spend a whole 40 minutes on that as well, but how do you kind of- Oh yeah, <laughs> probably right. But, okay, so assuming that somebody's been connected to the, their vision, like how do we kind of you know from from starts, right? Like you know, talking about the hiring process, how do we get people getting the right people on the bus, so to speak? Well, you know, the first thing you have to really do is get clear on what it is that you desire, and it's a step that a lot of people skip because they think, oh, well, this is the only thing that's available out there. These are the only kind of people that are applying for jobs. But you've really got to get inside of yourself. And a lot of what I teach is can be what you would consider law of attraction based. It's based on attracting the right people. 
So in order to attract, you've got to get really clear on what it is that you desire. And we'll actually go through an activity where we create stick figure people for the position that we want to hire for and list out all of the ideal characteristics and qualities that we want that person to possess. And then when we have people who come in to interview, we have to make sure that we're asking interview questions to say, yeah, okay, dreamy team member, or to rule them out and say, oh, no, not so much. But a lot of times we're willing to settle. And if you have that list, that dreamy list of characteristics in front of you, you're going to be less likely to settle. So for me, when it comes to the interviewing and hiring process, the first step is to always get clear on who it is you desire, what it is that you desire, and energetically how you want to feel working next to these people. And those are all things that I would get very specific and very clear about and write out. So that's like a a huge actionable item right there. And if you haven't done it, and some of these steps you're going to brush out, you might brush over in your mind saying, oh, well, that's kind of an easy thing. I know who I want. But if it's not written down, it's not going to come to life in that dynamic and amazing way, because then you're going to skip something when it comes to the interview process. Then you're going to miss a step when it comes to, oh, is this person really the dreamy team member? But then as you move into hiring and you got that list, you want to look at a couple of things. One is your help wanted ad or the communication that you're putting out there on Facebook about the position that you have open. And a lot of times people are like, you know, they feel fear and desperation when it comes to hiring. And it could just be a natural place that we go to inside of our heads. But when we feel fear and we feel desperation and we hire from that place inside of ourselves, guess what we're going to attract? Fear and desperation. And we might attract people who are desperate, who have desperate situations going on in their life. We might attract people who are fearful, people who won't be honest, people who will have all different kinds of issues. So it's always the energy behind the intent that's going to get you transformational results. So we really want to have a clean slate inside of our heads to create from and to bring our vision to life. Is that making sense? Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's, you know, it's good too, because it's interesting. I've, you know, we've had a lot of hires in the last, like, you know, little stretch for sure. And there's definitely been these situations where you have two people that feel pretty good. You're not sure what you have, you know, you know, one feels good. One other feels good in a slightly different way. But I mean, in addition to all this stuff in terms of getting the right people attracted, I think it's so powerful to have a binary yes or no. Do they tick all these boxes or do they not? Because it makes your decision that much easier. I got a question though, as far as like the the situation, and this is, I don't know what book I got this from. This is either who or top grading, but in terms of getting the right volume of applicants, right? What would you say to the person who says, yeah, you know, it would be great to have the person that I have in my dreams, but I got these three people that apply and I just don't know what to do. I got to, I got to settle on something. (laughs) Well, that's probably the first mistake is thinking that you have to settle, right? I think the universe delivers big when we change our mindset to what we expect. And if you start expecting that the best and the brightest are going to show up for you and even think about the childcare industry, an industry where I spent a lot of time and I currently spend a lot of time in also, but they, they have these positions. They don't pay that well. And they are like thinking they've got to settle for every position for these teachers who are going to be changing the lives of, of our future. And when I work with them and I coach them, I say, you don't settle. 
you know, they find that really they start attracting these amazing people, even if they don't pay that well, they start attracting people who are willing to like work for $2 an hour or less. But when it comes to really thinking, oh, I've got these three applicants, I have to make a decision. You have to ask yourself, do they meet this dream team characteristic list I described? How many of those things are missing? And how critical are those things that are missing? Because you can hire them. And then in 30 days from now or 60 days from now, your biggest gripe is going to be about those things that they're missing. And it's not just your time in the moment of you working in your practice and you being in your work. It's about the time that you have with your family. It's about the quality time you have after hours. And are you thinking about now because you made you settled? So now you're thinking about all the things that that person doesn't have. You're having anxiety. You're thinking at midnight, you're waking up. Maybe you're drinking a little too much, whatever it might be. <laughs> but but you, you just start getting consumed by what they're not delivering in the workplace as opposed to the energy that you could be using to attract the right person to you. So I'd be really careful about, especially if you in your own mind think I have to settle, it's kind of like settling in a relationship. Well, why would you do that? Why would you marry somebody who you think is missing this, this, and this, and this? You wouldn't. Well, hopefully you wouldn't. (laughs) Many of us have. (laughs) But, (laughs) But you really want to set the intention that you are going to attract this amazing person and even better to you. And I tell you what, when your light is shining bright enough to where you really stand in the energy that you deserve to have these amazing people come into your life, you're going to be sending a powerful message into the universe that's going to be like, oh, serious player here. We're going to start sending some amazing people to you. And when you think about the people that you really need to fill your practice to serve your vision. How many is that? Is it three? Is it five? Is it 10? You know, and in the community of attorneys out there, are they out there? And my answer most definitely is, is yes, they are. You just have to let your light shine bright enough so that they see you and that they could be attracted to you. But when you start settling, that's when you're going to start attracting the not so great people. Yeah. I got to say too, this is something that I hear a lot when people are talking about, particularly hiring in legal sometimes. I think when people get down on themselves, they start thinking about generalities, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, these millennials, none of them have a good work ethic or like none of these people want to end up scaling up to the point where they can acquire practice. And like, it's such a dead end in terms of opening yourself up to possibilities. Like, look, granted, it's like, if you have the situation, I think it does feed back to the vision too. Like you were saying, it's like, if you have the position that's going to attract people and you're going to have the applicants to really take your pick. And those people are out there. You can't literally tell me that there's not a single millennial that wants to do an honest day's work, right? Yeah. It's just a matter of getting the, the right stuff out there to get the ones to your door. And to your point, you know, you only need one most of the time, right? Right. You only need one, but, but, but study the workforce. You know, when you go shopping or when you go to your favorite fast food restaurant, look at the employees. And think about how little they're making per hour and look at the ones who are really motivated and look at the ones where it's like, oh, they barely say hello in the intercom or whatever it might be. But I study workforces of all different sizes, of all different pay grades. And when I look and just in my day to day, I hit Taco Bell or whatever it might be. Don't tell my trainer. 
but <laughs> but you hear you hear the employees are like, welcome. It's it's a great day. Glad to have you here. What can I get you? You know, and you feel the energy. You feel the enthusiasm. You, you think like, where does that start? And I remember one time I was going to Taco Bell here in Richmond, Illinois, and there were these employees who greeted you in these enthusiastic ways. I'm like what is up with this? These people are not making that much money and they're so happy to be here. At least they look happy. So one day I decided to ask and I said, you you must have an extensive training program in place where you learn how to greet customers like this. And the employee looked at me, he says, no, he says, actually, it's our manager. Our manager greets people in the most amazing ways possible. So when we come into work, we make a little game out of it to try to outdo him in the way that we greet people. So he's very enthusiastic and energetic. And we go above and beyond to really like pour it on thick just to see if we can like outdo his enthusiasm and excitement for the day. And this is Taco Bell. So if we can make this happen in Taco Bell, (laughs) you know, we can make this happen in our law firm where it's like, everybody's like, oh, great to see you. You know, you're an important part of the vision and here's what's going to transpire today. And I can't wait to attract the next five amazing people who are going to be a part of our team. So it's really going to start with your mindset because your mindset's going to really dictate the action that you're willing to take to get the results that you truly desire, that your heart really desires. Yeah. And I always say it's, you know, it's such an interesting positive feedback loop. First of all, I have to say shout out to that Taco Bell for exemplifying Woo! the yes. li- the live Moss mentality. Uh, but, also, right. <laughs> but also in terms of like, you know, having something silly, like a contest like that too. The funny thing is that those people probably more than a lot of other people in any service industry understand the value of a greeting, right? Why? Because they made a game because they had an example that they could bring into their reality. And now they understand how powerful that can be when it happens, right? And that's a positive yeah. feedback loop, which is fantastic. But you know, it has to start somewhere, right? And I think that's that. You know, seems like a lot of these roads are leading back to that <laughs> that vision yeah, right. and the energy, right? Yeah. Well, it's so true, and I and, and there is a responsibility in the leadership role or as an owner, and if you're building a team, to really look in the mirror and look at yourself, and you have to say, all right, I'm fully responsible for the team that I'm creating. Take the responsibility. Don't be a victim to what you think the world is handing you right now, um, whether it's millennial employees or whatever it might be. But you take full responsibility, and you say, you know what? I have to take responsibility for the team in front of me, if you've got an existing team, because you hired them, chances are you coached them or didn't coach them or you fired them or didn't fire them. So the responsibility for the team that you have serving your vision is yours. And it's really up to us to change the picture from the top down so that we see a whole different result transpire in our team. And I guarantee you that you are in a much more powerful position while you're an attorney. You're very powerful in the first place, right? But you are in a much more powerful position with your team than you could possibly imagine. It's like the red carpet is rolled out and all eyes are on you. The spotlight is on you and they are going to replicate your negative and your positive behaviors. But the bad news is they're going to replicate your negative behaviors much more easier. So if you show up late for a team meeting, if you're not prepared or if you were multitasking, you know, that's what you're going to be met with. So I always say you have to exemplify the positive like 150% if you want your team to rise up 100% to that level. So you have to do a lot more of that so that they'll see it and jump on board and go, oh, okay, this is the protocol for where we work. Okay, that's awesome. And I, I really think that's a that's a powerful message as well. It's, you know, you, you kind of have to lead by the front. I mean, it is kind of intuitive. I think it's kind of, but like, you know, common sense isn't common. It's like, how, 
would you reasonably expect somebody to, how do you show up at 80% and ask a hundred percent of someone? Right. But yeah, I mean, sometimes the, <laughs> the answer is looking at you in the mirror when you're trying to figure out where things are going on. That's a scary thing to think about sometimes, but also is, you know, super empowering in a lot of ways too. Totally empowering. So let's talk about after we got that first hire. Okay. And we'll do two versions of this. Let's talk about the ideal trajectory and let's talk about the uh, not so ideal trajectory went over when we got the enthusiasm on day one and, you know, we're in the gutter by day 30, right? So (laughs) how do we preempt that situation from showing up in the first place? Like, what do you really do as far as when people are kind of coming into the organization for the first time? Yeah. You know, when I do this with the hiring process, the interview process, and also your orientation processes, think about things in layers. Think about creating multiple layers to each one of those steps. So even when you think about hiring, there's going to be layers to that. When you think about interviewing, there's going to be layers to that because you really want your interview process to be slow and well thought out. You know, have have your candidates answer interview questions via email first that either rule them in as a dream team member or rule them out. So really take that process slow. And if they graduate to the point where you actually make an offer and they start with your organization, then it's again layering that a lot of people make the mistake of they get somebody in, they do a happy dance and it's like, woohoo, okay, we got them. Life is going to be fantastic here on out. And then you forget that you even had that struggle in the first place and you just think everything is going smooth. But you really want to think in terms of layers. So how do you orientate them with your processes, with your policies? Do you have processes and policies? Do you have different ways of training them in place? And all those things can be done very easily, but you also have to think that, A lot of people turn over or a lot of people become demotivated because they become overwhelmed, because they become confused. And to me, that's what I would attribute the the real reason to turn over to is, is overwhelm. People get overwhelmed, they mentally check out, and then they physically check out. People mentally will leave before they physically leave. And the unfortunate part is that sometimes they stay on for 30 days. 30 months, 30 years (laughs) (laughs) out a long time ago. (laughs) So it's really important to recognize that. So have layers in with your orientation process that would acclimate them and take away the overwhelm that they feel. So one thing you could do is ask current team members or even think about this yourself and ask them or ask yourself, what information do you wish you had when you first started? What was it that overwhelmed you in the first week? And then you create a training module, you create a plan of action so that you take that overwhelm away. And it could even be doing some simple things, stopping in, saying hello, making a special lunch date, calling the person after hours, whatever it might be, just to check in and say, how's it going? What questions do you have? Or even when you set up your orientation, have a Zoom call on the the following Thursday in the evening. So there's different things that you can do. Make it work for you. Make it something that you're excited about, but build in layers for that person so it's not just a dump and go. Right. Because we're, we're delegating, we're acclimating people to the other team members. And especially, you know, a lot of people can be lower self-confidence regard, regardless of how high up you are. Um, you could still come into an organization going, oh, well, what are they going to think of me? What are they, what are they, you know, what's going to happen here? And you don't know. So you, there's different steps that I recommend as part of your orientation process. One is even an introduction letter, even if everybody met the person, just to rave about the person again and in that sense 
same letter, you could say, oh, now I introduce you to the team. Let me introduce the team to you. And you just have like a picture of every person with a positive blurb next to them about their role and who they are so that people are like, oh, new staff, new team member. They're going to be bragged about me and about the new person coming in. So we want to take away the judgment and we want to take away overwhelm, most importantly. Yeah. So I got a question, and this is something that it's kind of a two-way street because I think on some level, like a lot of the time, Sue, what I was thinking about when you're you're mentioning how people kind of let their guard down after the hire is made is it's kind of like um there's a lot of mirrors to the sales process. Like, you know, people a lot of the times they forget about the post-sale follow-up. People forget yeah. about the post-hire follow-up. And then you get buyer's remorse, right? And I guess maybe there's a hire's remorse. Uh, <laughs> but um, anyway. Uh, on both ends, on both ends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then like, but basically, I think one of the tough things about being an employee is like, sometimes it's like, you still feel like you're kind of in the interview in those first couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. how do you genuinely communicate with somebody or like, are, are there ways that you can, you know, show that empathy and check in in a way that, that allows people to let their guard down? Or how can you genuinely gauge where somebody's overwhelm is at? in this first couple of weeks are so critical. Yeah, well, I hope that during the interview process, you really break through the barriers and you really get to know who the person is. So if you're asking the right questions, you should be able to really visualize who is this person going to be in the workplace. But when it comes to the employee and being overwhelmed, you can ask, well, there's a couple of different ways that you could do it. You can actually tap into current employees, see where their overwhelm happened. You could even have a survey that you have in place, but you can let them know that your intention is to create. And this is what I would do. Always mention your intention. My intention is to create the most positive and productive workplace possible and profitable, (laughs) right? So that's, that's my intention. And what I would really like from you is for you to communicate with me, especially during the first week or first two weeks. And I'm going to have some ways or methodologies in place so that we can get together and we can just have a candid conversation about how things are going. And what I'm going to be looking for is what's overwhelming you and what's helping you become more successful so that we can build upon those things and provide you more of what's helping you become successful here and take away the things that are causing the overwhelm. Okay. That's awesome. And then for people that have kind of found this stuff too, and this is, yeah, this is the one I've been, I've been uh, angling at for a little while now. We've got somebody who's burnt out. We've got somebody who's demotivated. How do we get the train back on the rails? Have you ever heard of the Harvey Corman technique? I have not. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Are you familiar with Carol Burnett? I might be dating myself. Oh here. gosh. Ah, the name. Carol Burnett. Let's Harvey. go. Let's, let's go with no, sorry. That's okay. So popular entertainer here. She's like now in her uh, 80s, but it was a show I used to watch as a little girl. And I remember hearing a story once. And this is one technique, but basically she sat down, she had a, a, a instance, one of her top performers was coming in, Harvey Corman, and she said he just wasn't feeling it. He wasn't feeling the vision. He wasn't alive with the vision. And he was just coming into work, going through the motions, not being very happy. And she sat down with him, shared the vision and said, this is specifically what I need from you. And this is more of a hardcore way to do this. But she says, Monday morning, you need to come in here singing a new song or you need to find a different vision or different team that you could be a part of. So Monday morning comes along, Carol Burnett had this talk with Harvey Corman. 
granted I'm remembering the story correctly, but he comes in Monday morning and he is singing, literally singing (laughs) for afters, a different song. And she's like, all right, you got it. (laughs) So he went home, did some soul searching. And we have to realize that people are, when they mentally check out their mindset is what's keeping them burnt out. Their mindset is what's keeping them unmotivated. Their mindset is what's keeping them from performing at the level that you would really like them to perform at or from miscommunicating. So we have to get inside of people's heads a little bit to really be able to lead them to a whole new place. And in order to do that, we almost need to get inside of our heads because we need to understand our own dysfunction before we could help others with their dysfunction. So whenever I'm working with leaders or owners of businesses, we have to look at, well, what's our mindset? And that's one of the most important things that you can look at with your team members is how are they thinking and to really understand what's their thought process? How are they thinking? Where's their mindset at? And really start transforming that. And you can do things to build positivity into your workplace culture where every day people are looking for the positives. They're searching for the positives and they're reporting on the positives. But a lot of times in the workplaces, the leader or the owner will hear about the negatives that are happening. Oh, well, so-and-so is gossiping again and she's really causing some issues. This drama is driving me crazy. The stress is going to kill me. But when we're focusing on all those aspects of our position, that's exactly what's going to happen right? Those things are going to drain the heck out of you. But if you build into the culture, things that will not only transform your own mindset, but will transform your staff's mindset so that everybody is elevating the way that they're thinking, that's powerful. And I know in our pre-conversation, we talked about Zig Ziglar and a lot of these people who transformed my life early on, Les Brown, Zig Ziglar, Ogmandino, it was about mindset. And when I was going through a divorce, I didn't realize that there was a different way that I could think so that I could get a different result in my life. And these people helped me see that like, whoa, wait a second. It's not just about who I am because I'm Julie, you know, and this is just kind of what my life is destined to be. I'm like, no, it's about the way that you were trained to think as a child growing up. And if you can now start thinking new thoughts guess what's going to happen? You're going to get a new result. And a lot of people don't have the awareness of the thoughts that they're thinking and the action that that's driving and the overwhelm that that's causing. So when we start interjecting positive thoughts into the workplace and, you know, one really good book that I would recommend, I'm not sure if you read it in man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a book that early on changed my life about life in the Nazi death camps and Victor studied prisoners Some were checking out. They were committing suicide by running into barbed wire fences. They were overwhelmed. They were done. They were burnt. They're out. Other prisoners were striving for freedom. Other prisoners were stepping up and still functioning as a productive person as much as they can. And he said that he studied the difference. And what he found was that the people who expressed gratitude every single day, even for the food that they got, and he says, I tell you what, the food, it was like flavored water with a piece of bread plopped in it. And they called that soup. And he said, but the people who would say, I'm so thankful for this meal. I'm so thankful for my health. I'm so thankful for my energy, whatever it was, they'd go on and on and on and on with gratitude. Those were the prisoners who made it to freedom. And that's an extreme example. And not to compare our workplace to a Nazi death camp, but if prisoners can transform their mindset to where they feel like there's something beyond the current circumstance that they're facing. That's what we all need. We all need a vision. 
bigger than the, the circumstances that we're going through right now to help pull us through to another level. So you could start having gratitude be part of your culture. You could start having positivity, positive thoughts. And there's some very specific ways that we can do that. But that is a, a huge way, a base way that transformation starts. And when I go in and I work with entire teams, we're talking about mindsets. We're talking about our thought process. We're talking about how 95% of our thoughts on a daily basis are repetitive thoughts. They're thoughts we think over and over and over again. And through conditioning by society, 87% of those are negative. And right now, especially right now, it might even be higher than 87%. Because if you watch any amount of news, it's going to be like, oh my goodness, we're all dying. <laughs> you know, it's a pandemic and, you know, things are worse than they, they've ever been. But th that's a powerful book and that's a powerful place to start. And if you could see and determine the way your people think, especially during the interview process, and that's why you want to structure some very personalized interview questions so you can see how people think, that is one of the most powerful things that you could do as a leader or as a supervisor for really figuring out, well, hey, how's this going to play out long term? Is it going to be a good fit? So let's get tactical for a little bit. Um, okay. I wanted to say, so some of these situations, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, we talk about a lot of areas of law, right? If you're practicing bankruptcy law or divorce law or, you know, immigration law, it's like a lot of the times people are seeing you in on their worst day. So it becomes super tough for some of these practice areas to avoid the negativity because it's just in their face, whether they're going to be positive about it or not. Do you have any recommendations for somebody who like, you know, Hitting the bricks as far as like getting an, an actual practice in place. What's a could you could you give us a couple examples of how workplaces that you've uh, worked with have, have gotten this built into their their habits and their culture? Yeah. So as long as I'm interpreting your question correctly, to me, it's I'm going to pull it back to the leader again, to the top, to the top dog, to the yeah. owner of the business, the owner of the law practice, is that you really have to have a routine in place so that you are purposely shifting your mindset daily. So for me, I'll do gratitude lists, but I take my time in the morning. And if you study top performers, all different top performers, they've got some kind of routine in place where they are purposely and intentionally shifting their mindset every single day. So it might be that you read 70 pages out of a book in the morning, or you fill your mind up with positive thoughts, or you remember the vision, you, you draw out stories and circumstances. So you think even if you're going for a case, you know, what's the end result going to be? What's what's going to be the, the warm and fuzzy moment that happens? Because I would think that for everybody, you're still looking for that case to be resolved. You're still looking to be that advocate for that person so that that one thing happens. But if you start with the end in mind and you begin thinking, even when the stress gets really, really hot and heated, man, this person's life is going to be changed. You know, this is going to be amazing for that person. So you start filtrating your mind with this positive vision of the outcome of what you're going through. And you keep that in the front of your mind. But I would establish a routine. And it's just like scientists say that it's just like building physical muscle. So I'm currently working out with a trainer <laughs> virtually. And for anybody else who's worked out, know that working your mindset is very similar to working your muscles. And you wouldn't go to the gym and spend eight hours there and say, woohoo, okay, I just got my workout in for the full week or for the full month. I don't have to do anything more and expect your muscles to build, right? You're probably going to end up just injuring yourself. It's a daily thing or a few times a week thing that you do to really consistently build your strength. 
So when you build your mindset, the same thing is true. You have to daily do something that makes your mind stronger so that your natural default becomes this place of, oh, this is going to work out. Oh, this is going to be the best day ever. Oh yeah, we're going through all this stress, but you know what? Here's what the outcome is going to be. And it's going to be so worth it. So you can be that force in somebody's life. And I tell you what, clients and future employees are going to be so attracted to that positive strength because people want to be around you if they feel like you can enhance their life in some way. So if they feel like, oh man, when I hang around Jan, my life is going to be so much better. That's going to get you more clients. That's going to get you more team members. That's awesome. And I think one of the things is like people have had the experience in the same way that a bad manager can make your entire life awful from nine to five or whatever. A good manager can really change things around. I think that's another like important part of the vision for people to keep in mind. Okay. So, you know, for people that are kind of like, you know, who's the, who's the best people, like who can you help and what's the best way for people to get in your world if they're looking to be involved with that? Yeah. So come and check me out. I'm juliebartkus.com, J-U-L-I-E, then B-A-R, T as in Tom, K-U-S.com. And uh, sign up for a Getting Unstuck consultation. And that basically gets us on the phone together. And we have a conversation and see if it's a good fit and see what I can help you with. And if anything, we'll move you beyond being stuck and get you some steps to have a good game plan in place, whether you're looking to attract, hire, retain, motivate, or manage the team of your dreams. It's a grand, fantastic starting place. Okay. Awesome. All right. So thank you so much for that offer, Julia. And then we're going to have this in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out. Yeah. It's been an awesome conversation. We actually ended up kind of winding up in a good full circle point. So, but again, I think that's the importance of uh, be the change you wish to see in your workplace, but, but yeah, super appreciate the time for everybody else. We will see you guys next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the law firm growth podcast. Thank you for listening to the law firm growth podcast for show notes, free resources, and more head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.